This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, happy to be back in New York City, uh, home of the show. But, of course, we're heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Rich Lowry is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour, get his take on the optimism Republicans feel right now uh, for the midterm elections. But they're still months away. He's the editor of National Review. And Senator Tommy Tuberville is standing by. Uh, we also bring you the latest. If, for those of you who are following the Supreme Court Justice Confirmation hearings, big news for uh, Judge Jackson. She she has the support of the for her first Republican Maybe the only Senator Susan Collins. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The word gay is not in the legislation. Right. So they okay. say it's banning a word that literally isn't even in the legislation. It's not even like they're misrepresenting the way the word's used. It's not even used in the bill. Senator uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, it's unbelievable the mischaracterization of this parental rights bill that Dems can't stand and take great joy in mislabeling as the don't say gay bill. Will this be another body blow to their midterm hopes? We will explain how, and once again, Governor DeSantis is leading the way, and how the nation now views a Biden-Harris matchup. Number two. Title 42 was always a temporary measure. It was always going to go away. But unfortunately, what this administration has not done is they haven't planned for it. And they haven't put any other policies in place to deter the illegal activity that we see. Yeah, the border crisis is about to get a whole lot worse. How's Title 42's end could bring millions to our border and illegally into our nation? Number one. Nobody should be fooling ourselves by the Kremlin's now recent claim that it will suddenly just reduce military attacks near Kyiv. We believe that this is a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. Uh, that is Admiral James Kirby uh, talking in Turkey. Not sure if we have peace gains, but there is some change. As Russia says, they'll reduce capital attacks uh, as a Russian border town gets shelled and Donbass bombing has been unrelenting. I'll bring you the latest from Ukraine. So just to understand that there was some progress in talks yesterday, enough for oil to drop a few dollars. And there was this, you know, the Ukrainians came with a proposal. Maybe we'll take a look at the Donbass area. Uh, Crimea will put that on the shelf for 15 years. And when it comes to being neutral like Finland, we'll entertain that. But we want an economic relationship with the EU. That's called talking. Russians say we're optimistic about some things. But as everybody knows, nobody takes the Russians at their word, nor should they. Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us now. Armed Services Committee member has uh, multiple messages to discuss. First off, Senator, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the money put aside, that the arms that are needed, the supplies that are warranted to the Ukraine are not getting there. I know there's a bipartisan letter sent to the White House, led by Gillibrand and Senator Joni Ernst. 
to get some answers on this. You're on on services. How what can you tell us about what American supplies are getting to the Ukrainians? We we can't get a clear answer, Brian. But uh, they're going slow. Uh, we've talked to some generals, and they're going in very slow. And 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 my answer to that is, and 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 Biden should come out and say, listen. We're either going to get them to them or we're going to get out. We're going to let them know we're not going to help you so they can make a decision what they want to do in the future because they cannot make it without our arms. We don't need to put one boot on the ground. We don't need to help them other than give them everything that they need. But uh, NATO's drug their feet. Uh, we've drug our feet. Uh, you know, we probably have a limit to what we're going to give them in the long run, but we'll just have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, going to, we're going to have to take blame for getting a lot of people killed if we just keep – kind of dragging our feet and letting uh, uh, Zelensky think that we're eventually going to get what they need. But while they're doing that, they're getting slaughtered. They're getting a lot of people killed. Now, they're fighting. They're fighting hard. But uh, they're also losing a lot of people, too. But uh, you know this. Uh, they're actually in one-on-one. They're beating the Russians. They're more organized. They're more driven. They're more focused. The Russians are turn out to be a hollow Goliath. I mean, it's unbelievable how disorganized, how lack of communication. There's no single commander. When you look at your opponent and you think this is our major threat and you find out that they can't even stand it to the Ukrainians to the point where they got to do the cowardly thing, uh, the barbaric thing, and bomb from afar, that should, this should give the Americans, an under, meaning us, an opportunity to take them down to size for a decade why can't we see that even from a selfish point of view being in our national interest? Yeah, you take the bombing from the airplanes. You take the, the missiles coming in uh, from Russia. Uh, this would be a, a probably a fight that Ukraine could just push Russia back because what's happened, they found this out. They had, they've had eight generals that have been killed. And generals usually don't go to war, but their mid, mid-level officers were obviously doing a terrible job. Um, you got to look at this too, Brian. That, that they go into this war. All these the propaganda has got to be great from from uh, the, the side of the Ukrainians because every one of these young men and women that are fighting for Russia have a cell phone and they can read what's going on. And they first thought this was going to be war games. They didn't know they was going to go in and start killing people. So the momentum from Russia is not very good. It's a home game for Ukraine. They're fighting hard. They're not going to give up. But at the end of the day, they're going to get overwhelmed by all the things that Russia has if Joe Biden and NATO don't give Ukraine what they want and need. If we're going to drag our feet, like I said earlier, if we're going to drag our feet, we're going to get a lot of people from Ukraine killed that shouldn't be killed. So, so far this year, as we switched to our border, last year nearly 2 million illegal immigrants are somehow woven into our country, into our school system, without telling the governors, the mayors, uh, and a lot of times the, the senators, most times the senators, now we're looking at the end of Title 42, which was a temporary measure, I understand it, for the pandemic to, to give us a reason to keep single males out of here because we don't want to spread this virus. Chad Wolf used to run things at the border when it was actually closed, said this, cut 15. Title 42 was always a temporary measure. It was always going to go away. But unfortunately, what this administration has not done is they haven't planned for it and they haven't put any other policies in place to deter the illegal activity that we see. So not only do you have the the amount of folks that are coming to the border every month, 170, 80, 100,000, but you also have the surge that's going to come once the cartels and the smugglers and others start advertising that Title 42 has gone away. So it's going to be a double whammy. And again, this administration should have planned for this better. They should have put procedures in place. 
So they didn't, and they don't seem to care. Uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas just goes down there and gets blistered by the Border Patrol. What can you do, Senator Tuberville, to, to help out our national security when you don't have the majority in the Senate and you don't have the White House? Yeah, well, elections have con- consequences, and I don't know how these people got elected, but they got in there, and Mayorkas is a, is a phony. Uh, he has no clue what's going on uh, other than the fact that they know that they do not want borders. They want, they're globalists. Uh, Title 42 uh, was put in because of the pandemic, as you said. It's going to be taken down. Uh, you know, and used to, Brian, these people coming from Mexico or some of these other countries were coming here for the freedoms that we have uh, to work. Uh, I've had friends now telling me they're coming across with visas that normally when they come across, they come and go to work. Now they're coming across. The first thing they say is we want benefits. We want Medicare. We want uh, to be able to register to vote. They're, they're being told this before they come across the border of what to ask for. So this is all a plan. We know that. It's a plan to get more voters for the far-left Marxist, and uh, uh, we can't control it. We're doing everything we possibly can. We're trying to help the Border Patrol. But, uh, you know, they're, they are putting money in. They're taking pandemic money, Brian, and paying for lawyers to get people out of jail where they can turn them free. I'm talking about illegal immigrants. Uh, they're they're doing you're using all kind of pandemic money at the border that's not not targeted for that it's supposed to go other places but they're using it to help all these people down there to get into the country fly them into the country get them over here where they can register to vote register for medicare register for benefits and uh, they don't care about working anymore some of them now a lot of them will because they want to work but uh, it's just a sad state of affairs that uh, they're they're being they're being uh, uh, attacked by the left and said listen don't work We'll take care of you. The taxpayers in this country will take care of you, and the taxpayers are paying the heavy price. You know, work visas is something that could really work for us. I mean, there's a lot of open jobs. We get it. You have work visas. You come in and get it in an organized way, not this way. And I just never – this president enough, I think, has alienated people uh, in Texas, in New Mexico, in Arizona that normally would be voting Democrat. They see what's happened to their lives, their farms, uh, their property. But I want to uh, go to another area, and that is rising gas prices. You have introduced the American Energy Independence Act to reverse President Biden's shutdown of our energy companies. Next week, top oil executives will testify on gas prices uh, from BP, from uh, it looks like the president of Exxon, uh, Shell, uh, Devon Energy, as well as Pioneer Natural Resources. Three companies won't come. They're, they're going to try to be made to look like the enemy. I think it's time for them to stand up and let everybody know how much harder their job has been made because of this administration. Yeah, this is Bernie Sanders and the, and the far left uh, pushing this agenda with, with Biden. And uh, you know, you're exactly right. They will be scrutinized when they get here. They're saying, well, they're making too much money. Well, how about we just drill and we bring more product into this country, more oil, more gas, to where we know we can bring the price down. But uh, they think all these oil and gas companies are making money. They, they don't realize it, that just very few oil wells hit. They spend millions of dollars on wells that they're drilling for that they can't find oil, so they lose all that money. And so it's, it's a process that we go through. Open the Keystone Pipeline. Do the things that you're supposed to do. Brian, if we're not energy independent in this country, China is fixing to steamroll us. Right. Uh, and- it's going to be a steamroll. And so we better open our eyes to that. And, and of course— I don't think Biden or the far left really care what happens with China. They want to bring our country to a point where it's government controlled anyway. Uh, they don't like our constitution and freedoms. 
and it all starts with all this climate crisis. Uh, hey, how about a national security crisis? That's that should come before anything to do with climate. Well, I just say one thing. When it comes to security, the American people care about what's happening in Ukraine, even though we, for the longest time we're told American people don't care. It's 6,000 miles away. They don't know any Ukrainians. But that has changed thanks to President Zelensky. So you watch Poland get totally off Russian uh, fossil fuels. They're going to buy their coal elsewhere, natural gas elsewhere. If Germany's knocked down already, their purchase is 15 percent and destroyed the Nord Stream, too. In our own national security interest center, Tuberville, we could be doing this stuff and be there best supplier while bringing more money into our country. And we all know natural gas burns clean. So I know I'm speaking to the choir with that. But if you could link all three together and let you know it's in our national interest, I I think people would understand. The other issue I want to bring up, which you're going to bat for, uniquely qualified to speak about because of you're such a uh, prolific coach. And you also told me, I did not know this, you coach girls basketball. When Title IX right. comes into fray, it said, hey, if you got uh, such a, you have 100 uh, male scholarships, you have to have 100 female scholarships. And that reconfigured college sports. But as you said, for the most part, it has worked. Now when it comes to females, trans athletes participating with females, it looks like the rights of the female athlete are being trampled. What can you do about it? It's, it's a whole plan by the Marxist left. Uh, they want to tear down the family. They don't want a nuclear family. They want. They don't want anybody to be called he or she. They want one gender. Uh, this is just a, a point that they they're looking at. It just kind of happened. It fell into their lap. Uh, as you said, I coached girls basketball back in the '70s, right when Title IX started. Uh, we had three to five percent of the girls that participated in high school and junior high sports back in 1970s. Title IX started. It was the best thing this government's ever done. This government doesn't do a whole lot good. But that was great. Title IX worked. The women's groups got it passed. Now we have equal budgets, coaches, facilities for girls. Now, all of a sudden, we have this transgender biological boy who wants to compete against girls. It's not fair. Uh, now, I don't mind him competing, but uh, have a transgender sports. But do not put them in with girls where they do not have a fair chance to compete and win. It's absolutely ridiculous. But then, again, this goes back to the far-left agenda of changing our country, uh, making everybody go by government rules, uh, not allowing people to do what they want to do. But where are the women's rights people? Where are the pro athletes, the women pro athletes? Where are the people that should stand up for women's sports? They're not doing it, and it just shows that they're woke like the rest of them. All right, and you have a uh, you have uh, you introducing the Protection of Women's and Girls in Sports Act. Have them stand up and do it. You know, I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't comfortable. They were booing Leah Thomas, the trans athlete. I'm not comfortable with that. But the whole point is the NCAA should have stepped up and made the rules that allow the women to compete against women. You can't put it into the public forum, and then let these different colleges uh, referee themselves. The NCAA, again, falls short. Uh, but hopefully you'll be able to uh, give them cover to act with some courage. Uh, Senator, yeah. always great to talk to you. Thank, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. NCAA, they don't want lawsuits, so they're not going to get involved. And it's going to cause women's sports to go back to the, to the rock ages, basically. Yeah, uh, stand up and fight. And we need uh, major women athletes to stand up and do it. That would certainly help. Uh, thanks so much, Senator. Appreciate it. one 408 We'll take your calls next. Then Rich Lowry right after that. A lot to get to. New polls out. You're not going to believe how Trump now does against Biden and how he does one-on-one against Harris. That story next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The word gay is not in the legislation. So they say it's banning a word that literally isn't even in the legislation. It's not even like they're misrepresenting the way the word's used. It's not even used in the bill. It's a a fake narrative. It's a lie. But it's a lie because they have to lie because if they admitted what they were really for, sexualizing kindergartners and first graders, they know that would not fly with the public. Governor DeSantis and Florida do it again, leading the nation in logic, leading the nation in logic. It's a parental rights bill that says if you go to school in Florida, public school, you are not going to be subjected, your kindergartner, your first grader, your second grader, your third grader, to talking about sexuality, gay, straight, trans, doesn't matter. Focus on colors, letters, numbers, reading, writing, getting along with others' behavior, Don't bring up sexuality. What parent has a problem with that? And if you do, find a private school that's pro-teaching sex to toddlers. I mean, what is why there aren't 49 other states lining up for that, but instead you have lunatics mischaracterizing and say, don't say gay, Bill. And you have Disney lining up to fight against the passage of it, even though it's a California-based company. I mean, listen to some of this. Uh, other stuff that's been spewed out. For example, on MSNBC, Corey Bernard, Cut 24. We should be able to have discussions, and, and that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten. That's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I It scares me death that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddleboarding this weekend. Nobody cares. If you want to say what you do for the weekend to a kindergartner, you could say I won paddleboarding with a with a, was paddleboarding over the weekend. How is that messing up your curriculum unless you have an agenda that you want to push forward and this is stopping you for doing it? Why would you want kids to even understand what's going on? You know, if you are gay or straight or divorced, why would you put put that burden on a four year old or a five year old? This is the nuttiest thing ever. Good job, Governor DeSantis. And I guarantee you, almost every American agrees with you. Just make sure you don't out let them outmarket you and leave it as a don't say gay bill like those idiots at the Oscars put forward. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. They've seen President Biden all over the map making statements that have to keep being rolled back. There was these statements where first his staff was saying that sanctions will deter. Then the president said last week that the administration never said sanctions would deter. They see a president who's leading from behind, that Europe is leading, Zelensky is leading. Uh, uh, Biden promises all these weapons to get into Ukraine. They're not arriving. And I don't know if you saw yesterday, the top U.S. commander in Europe testified to the Senate. He was asked, why are these weapons not arriving? And his answer was he didn't know. Well, Mm. who does know? 
I think this is just shows a lack of leadership across the board concerning Ukraine from this administration. Fred Fights work with the Trump White House. Joining us now, Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Hey, Rich, the first thing I want to start with, the Ukraine. I mean, we put enough money aside, $800 million is the last. The president keeps talking about billions in the budget, $13 billion, $800 million coming over with supplies. It's not getting there. And I can't tell you how many people have written me anecdotally and just said, this stuff is not getting in. What's going on? Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. It's uh, they, they need it now. You know, they, they don't need it six months from now. They need it right now. And I, I think you could argue whether you know we should have given them the MIGs or not when the, the polls came up with that plan. But certainly we should be giving them all these, these missiles, anti-air missiles and anti-tank missiles and all the rest of it. And th- if there shouldn't be any delay. I mean, it should be a five-alarm fire to get this stuff there, and I don't know why it's not happening faster. A bipartisan group of senators are requesting specifics from the Biden administration on the defensive aid that the U.S. has provided to Ukraine. The fact is the United States has delivered $350 million in security assistance already. We're already facilitating the deliveries of additional assistance from our allies, at least 30 countries. But early this month, the president announced another $800 million. He says he's going to get 800 Stinger missiles, 100 tactical unmanned aerial systems, 2,000 javelins. We know about those, uh, those kamikaze drones that are supposed to get in there. And the word is they're not getting in. So Joni Ernst and Kristen Gillibrand are leading a break. You know, basically everybody in the Senate, they're all frustrated, and they all are hearing from their people that they want to support the Ukraine. The American people are behind this effort. It rarely happens. Yeah, and you know, logistics is complicated in any circumstance. But this is a, a a country bordering a NATO country. I mean, how hard is it to get stuff into Poland? You know, Poland isn't getting bombed, and yeah, there've been strikes on Lviv close to the border, but they're not strikes right on the border. So you, you think it'd be happening more quickly. And you're right, this is one of the, the few issues where it's an eighty percent issue. Everyone is is behind Ukraine. It's clear who the aggressor is, and who the righteous cause is here. And uh, we should want the Ukrainians to win, and if, if they don't, you know, it's going to be uh, very frightening, perhaps for NATO, because that might be what Putin's tempted to do next. Absolutely. So the president submitted his budget uh, yesterday on Monday, at which time we find out where his priorities are. He's going to increase defense spending by about four percent. Inflation seven is uh, almost nine percent right now. So I don't know mm-hmm. what he's talking about. Does he understand the threat and how much we're committing now more to Europe, uh, let alone? what he's about to unleash with this Iranian deal, let alone the challenge that China is getting. It's growing each and every day, and they're investing more and more. And we also see the fact that he's still pushing for his green agenda, and he's looking to uh, tax billionaires billionaires out of our country. What is your take? To have to have a real decline in defense spending, which is what they're talking about, right? If inflation's eight percent and you're only increasing four, you're losing ground. And there, there's so much we need to do to develop more advanced weapons to make sure we're repairing what we have and uh, plussing up the size of our navy, especially with an eye to the competition with China. It's it's just shocking, and there's no way it's going to stand. I mean, Congress plussed up the last budget; it's going to plus up this one substantially. I think you know, with inflation, you need to get to a bit, basically a trillion-dollar defense budget in fairly short order. And I, I think there's a bipartisan consensus moving that direction in Congress. But obviously, the Biden administration doesn't partake of that view. So you believe that inflation, and every poll indicates you're right, and you write in your column, inflation is it right now because it affects everything we do. Gas price is part of that. And then if you walk in to go shopping, you're paying more, getting less. 
Uh, when you, if you want to go travel, you're paying more, getting less. The, if you're not, it's shrinkflation. What you're buying, there's less in it, so you don't even understand uh, immediately that you're getting more. And that really affects people. We have not talked about inflation like this since the early 80s. Yeah, and you know Nate Silver, the the kind of center left election analysis, he was making this point on Twitter the other day. Inflation doesn't get a lot of coverage. I mean, Fox Fox does it, but no one else does. But still, people care about it because it doesn't matter what the administration's saying about it. It doesn't matter what the media is saying about it. It doesn't matter whether the media is covering it or not. You feel it. And the main effect, the aggregate effect, is that wages are declining in the United States right now in real terms. And there's just no way any president is going to be able to survive and thrive in that circumstance. So this should be the main thing they're, they're focused on. You know, the problem for them is they're kind of, they have limited tools for dealing with it, but they can stop the pain. You know, they can stop the overspending. But again, just like defense, they're not really willing to adjust to account for the circumstances in the actual real world we're all living in. And Rich Lowry, next week, the, the leading oil and gas companies are coming be, before uh, Capitol Hill. I think they've got to get questions on both sides. At which time, they should be the aggressor. They should not be the tobacco companies. They should say, listen, you want, I should be doing more to help out Ukraine by being the main supplier to Europe. I should be doing more in order to get the gas prices down lower than they should be. And no longer should you throw out phony phrases like those 9,000 unused leases. They should be strong and forceful in pushing back on the de-investment movement towards oil and gas companies to these major investment firms. They have to out. They have to defend themselves, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. They should go on offense. They're a positive good. It's an amazing benefit to our country that we we have this these this wealth. You know, this great source of energy just sitting under our feet. We just need to go get it, and people will. If the environment and the context is right. And this is another issue where if Biden could um, pivot, which he won't, you know, he could have another 80 percent issue and all of the above approach to energy. You know, I think fossil fuels make the most sense. I'm willing to, to do nuclear, even if it takes some subsidies, which it might, certainly in our regulatory environment. I'm not so big on solar and wind, but if you want to throw that in to uh, to do the, just do everything, you know, OK, I'm there. And I bet 80 percent of people would be there. But it's another issue where they haven't adjusted to, uh, again, the world as it's existing. It makes no sense to try to uh, squeeze our own oil and gas industry to get prices higher, to get people to, to use solar or whatever. Eventually, those renewable sources, they might make more sense. They don't now. Don't hurt ourselves and the working people of America by trying, trying to rush it. I hear you. I want to get to your take on this Will Smith slapgate, but I also want to get you this. AOC says Democrats need to go further to the left to have any type of chance in the midterms. The self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist suggests the president was ignoring the very people who got him elected in 2020 and urged Biden to use his executive powers to govern decisively in a new interview with New York Magazine, who, by the way, worship her for some reason. So do you believe that President Biden should take her advice as a conservative Republican? Uh, of course not. Uh, even if I were a conservative Democrat, I, I wouldn't believe he should take that advice. This is the problem with his presidency, basically, is that he won the primary kind of unexpectedly. I thought he was dead after the first three contests by being relatively, uh, underline that word, moderate compared to the rest of the field. And that's the way he sounded during much of the general election. And then he governed, you know, with the Bernie Sanders agenda. So he campaigned as Joe Manchin and then governed as Bernie Sanders. 
And that just doesn't work. It hasn't worked. And she wants him to double down on the Bernie Sanders um, part of the equation. And I do think, though, that this will be a temptation for Biden, maybe not right now, but after the midterms when he's looking at his legislative agenda being totally stymied. I mean, even more stymied than it is now. It's stymied with Democrats in control of Congress. It's really going nowhere with Republicans in control. He's going to be tempted to go the Obama route of the pen and the phone. And that's just not the way our system is supposed to work. It's completely wrong. And there'll be a backlash against it, I believe, just the way there was with Obama. So the Harvard-Harris poll uh, asks uh, their pollsters, 19, uh, almost 2,000 registered voters, who would you vote for if you could do it today, Trump or Biden? Trump wins by 6, 47-46. Trump versus Harris, 49-38. to 38. Uh, You know, mm-hmm. the Harvard-Harris poll isn't exactly Trafalgar. You know, that is not exactly yeah. um, what we're used to, see, a right-leaning poll. What's significant about that? Well, I mean, the Harris number, it's shocking. It's kind of what you would expect, but just that she's at 38. And this just goes to to the real problem that Democrats have, because it's just it's really hard to believe that Joe Biden is actually going to be able to run again. And if he did, you know, in one, what we're supposed to believe he's going to be president of the United States at 86 years old or whatever, towards the end of the second term. It's insane. You know, and this office ages people. It ages people by the day and handling a crisis like Ukraine. And he's not a 45 year old guy, you know. So and, and you just look at him, you listen to him, and it's just hard to believe he's he's um, still going to be president three years from now. Um, so. But then what, what are the options, right? Kamala Harris would be the natural option if an incumbent president's not running again. It's usually the vice president that, that gets it. And it would be hard for them not to give it to her, given that she's a black woman. But 38 percent, I mean, that's the kind of number you get if you've been uh, impeached or there's some major scandal. And there hasn't. It's just that she's so unlikable and so bad at national politics. So that really goes to the, the, the uh, dire situation I think Democrats are in. Will Smith slaps uh, Chris Rock. Before we get to your column, Joe Rogan, a comedian for 30 years, owns his own comedy club. Uh, he would actually be able to single-handedly crush almost everybody at the Oscars, <laughs> but said this, cut 35. You can't just go smack a man in the face in front of the world and then go about business as usual. First of all, it sets a terrible precedent. Yes. In, in in so many different ways. So it's a terrible precedent for comedy clubs. Yes. Like, are people going to yes. decide that they're going to go on stage and Ooh, smack the comedian now? Think- what are we saying as a society when the, the people that we look up to, for whatever reason, for good or for bad, mm-hmm. we look up to actors? Yes. And, and the Academy Awards is supposed to be them in their most regal their most regal outfits, yeah. their best behavior. Yeah. And to jo- drop down to violence for something so innocuous as a G.I. Jane joke. So I think that's important. They interviewed a lot of comedy clubs in the New York Post yesterday. They say, are you worried about people storming the stage? They said, absolutely. Now they got to get security for this. Rich, would you think that the one person not appreciated through this whole process is Chris Rock? Why? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I mean, just talk about a consummate performer. If if you do some public speaking, if people don't pay attention to you, it, it can be dispiriting and kind of hard to take. If people heckle you or turn their backs on you, even though they're not visiting violence on you, it's kind of hard hard to take. It's really disconcerting. But to have someone with no warning stalk up on the, the stage, one of the most famous people in America, and smack you flat on the face like that and just immediately bounce back, you know, a little yelling back and forth with the madman who just did it. But then not to miss a beat and go right on and roll with it, 
that's extraordinary. I mean, that's it's the most amazing performance of our century. Put it put aside any halftime shows, anything else, any great movie performance, anything else. I think this is the best performance that we've seen in the last twenty years. And he was more of a man uh, than Will Smith. Uh, he didn't hit anyone. He, he his attitude is I'm not going to interrupt this show. I'm not going to embarrass everyone. I'm just going to go on. And it's it's Will Smith who embarrassed himself, uh, his family. And uh, did a disservice to everyone, including Chris Rock. And then that, that that was he was allowed to just sit there. And now he's apologized in a more fulsome way. That's great. But just sit there, and people were comforting him. Just goes to the perversity of of celebrity culture. He, everyone, he, Will Smith believes, and everyone believes he's some sort of a higher being that the rules don't apply to. And that's just deeply disturbing and wrong. I one thing, Chris Rock, uh, like you said, I think he took tremendous composure. Evidently, he actually introduced the documentary uh, category right after that. Went backstage and said, "I just got hit by Muhammad Ali, and I don't have a scratch on me." Obviously, he played Ali in two thousand one. <laughs> uh, and then I love the fact that he hasn't answered yet. So Will Smith the mm-hmm. next day apologizes on Instagram. Wow, that's great. Listen to what Jim Carrey said of all people. Cut 36. I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood is just spineless, en masse. And uh, it just, it really felt like, oh, this is a really clear indication that uh, we're not the cool club anymore. I don't even know what that means, uh, cool club anymore, you know, violence. I mean, it just shows he's totally out of control. He's able to sit there and get a standing ovation. It's pretty nuts. Not many people are consoling Chris Rock. Adam Sandler posted something for him. But I guess you guess who so somebody else is giving some support to. Uh, he does have somebody supporting him, Will Smith. You might remember this voice and this character, Cut 38. I think Will was wrong. I understood the feeling. Now, uh, in my life, I've been through a lot of crap, and I was raising two young kids, and every comedian in the country had an OJ routine. And don't think I wouldn't want to be slapped a couple of those guys, but you got to accept it's It's humor, and I didn't even think that was all that egregious. I thought it was a semi-unfunny joke, but I don't know. I don't get it. I know this. After what happened to me in Las Vegas, if I would have done that in front of a billion people watching around the world, they would have given me life without. I'm just saying. When O.J. Simpson is your most vociferous (laughs) defender, is that good news for you? (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, he's right that if, if anyone, not just OJ, but if any random person, oh, we'd be dead. Did it, they'd be in jail. They'd be in jail. There's no question. They would have been tackled. Security would have escorted them from the building. And maybe it's a little different from Will Smith. You assume he's not going like, to kill Chris Rock, but still, this is not acceptable behavior. And again, it just just goes to these people. They consider themselves you know the nobility that's above everyone else. And you know, it's it's like uh, a courtier or in the a monarch's. Um, uh, team, you know, he, he rules don't apply to him. You know, he can do whatever he wants. And the, gotcha. the same thing is true of Will Smith, unfortunately. It's deeply un-American. Deeply it, un-American. Rich Lowry, can't thank you enough. Great perspective as usual. Hey, thanks, Brian. Editor of National Review. When we come back, your turn. Can you match it? one 408 Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
when we brought the fireworks back to the Magic Kingdom, we no longer say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we say dreamers of all ages. We don't want to just assume because someone might be um, in, in our interpretation, maybe presenting as female, that they may not want to be called princess. Is that nuts? That is a internal communication put forward by Chris Rufo on his podcast or, uh, yeah, I think his podcast, where he was able to put that forward, put it on social media that just shows that these Disney activists masquerading as management are pushing no longer to say princess or boys and girls. Look at the fireworks or here's Mickey or welcome to the show. Now it's dreamers because they don't want to insult what boys and girls Boys that want to be girls, they don't want to label a princess as a princess. It is insane what's going on with Disney. I'm telling you, if you have a choice, um, I don't want to uh, hurt people that work in those parks, but anybody who worked for that organization that thought they should storm out of their workplace in March because of this bill are idiots. And for the management to kowtow to it, it just shows how cowardice they are. Tom, listen to WRCN. Tom. Brian, good morning. Brian, I think you're brilliant. Okay, got that out of the way. I just want to talk to you about this Ukraine business. This Biden does not want to win. Okay, he didn't want to win in Afghanistan. And look what schmucks he made out of us in the whole world. He don't want to win on the border. And look what he did. He just opened it up. He don't want to win. That's why Ukraine isn't getting any. Tom, I can't I can't argue with you on either point. I am brilliant and he doesn't want to win. That's how I started One Nation last week on Saturday at eight. I said, why doesn't he just say win? This is what we have to do to help the Ukrainians win. Why not do it? It's the American way, not his. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, as they said, from New York City, but heard around the country, and we hope heard in the Ukraine we have a lot to discuss today. Will Hurd's going to be with us, uh, the Republican, former Texas congressman, uh, cybersecurity executive today, and former CIA guy. He's got a brand new book out called American Reboot, an idealist guide to getting big things done. Uh, he'll be joining. It's always great to talk to him, especially on with things to do with surveillance, intelligence, and the war. And Britt Hume putting in perspective so many mistakes that the president has made. Uh, even though NATO is united and we are acting and the country is united behind helping out the Ukrainians, his approval ratings down to 40 percent. How much is his performance and how much is America just souring on government in general? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The word gay is not in the legislation. So they say it's banning a word that literally isn't even in the legislation. It's not even like they're misrepresenting the way the word's used. It's not even used in the bill. Parental rights bill that Dems can't stand and take great joy in mislabeling as the don't say gay bill. Will this be another body blow for the Democrats' midterm hopes? We'll explain how once again Governor DeSantis is leading the way and how the nation now views President Biden against Trump and Vice President Harris against Trump in a would-be matchup. Number two. Title 42 was always a temporary measure. It was always going to go away. But unfortunately, what this administration has not done is they haven't planned for it. And they haven't put any other policies in place to deter the illegal activity that we see. All right, that's Chad Wolf. He used to run things at the border. Now it's totally broken down. The border crisis is about to get a whole lot worse. We'll talk to Will Hurd about this. 
as Title 42 put in place during the pandemic is about to evaporate. Number one. Nobody should be fooling ourselves by the Kremlin's now recent claim that it will suddenly just reduce military attacks near Kiev. We believe that this is a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. And by the way, uh, just to show you that John Kirby is right, the areas in which the Russians say they'll pull back as a show of good faith with the Turkey talks uh, are now being hit. Talking in Turkey. Not sure if we have peace gains, but there are some changes. As Russia says, they'll reduce capital attacks. But we know that's not the case right now. Russian border towns get shelled from Ukraine. And the Donbass region is on an unrelenting attack. Let's bring in Will Hurd, former Texas congressman, uh, former CAA guy. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Congratulations on your book, American Reboot. Hey, Brian, I appreciate you, man. I'm, I'm just trying to be a little bit like you, uh, writing, writing so many books. You uh, know? Well, absolutely. You. And you've got the world experience to bring to it. I talk about things that happened in the past. You could talk about things you're living through. Uh, and you're <laughs> yeah. as a Republican, but call things as he sees it. You were, you're always an American first, America first guy. I got to take get your take on the overall picture with Ukraine. Why is it? that intelligence in general said Ukraine would fall in a couple of days and Zelensky would either be killed or captured, decapitated government, and then the Russians would basically take it over. Why did we get the Russian strength so wrong and the Ukrainian strength so wrong in that region? Look, it's it's a good question, and, and I would say, first off, did we get the Russian strength wrong? I don't think that. I think we got the resolve of the Russians wrong, right, and their willingness, what they were willing to do wrong. They're able to demolish, we're seeing it in, in Mariupol, they're able to bring that level of death and destruction to other parts of Ukraine. We know that that is, that is, that is possible. Um, the fact that their supply lines were broken down, um, those were things that, that, in essence, weren't predicted. However, there were a number of people that said, listen, the Ukrainians defended their country once before. In 2014, when the, when the Russians first went into Ukraine, they tried to go to Kiev, and the Ukrainians pushed them back to, in essence, what became the line of control for a, a number of years. And that was they were less organized. They had less equipment. They had less weapons. In 2014, right? so, they tried to go to Kiev? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and so so this is this is why um, there there were still some within the intelligence community that were saying um, that this is what's going to happen. Now you got to remember, you you know, intelligence community is there to collect information and provide it to policymakers. Policymakers make decision. I think this administration, because of the disastrous um, their pullout out of Afghanistan, were overly cautious in saying that this is going to be bad, this is going to this is going to happen immediately, because they were afraid of having a repeat uh, of what happened in Afghanistan. So I would say the policy analysis is where they got things uh, uh, um, got things wrong. The the, the problem now is, th- if the longer this conflict goes on the more pressure it's going to put on Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe is dealing with populations in their countries that are living under the threat of war, that are dealing with the, the, the issues of sanctions. And then you have a growing humanitarian crisis of millions of Ukrainians fleeing their home country. The longer this war goes on, it's, it's going to put pressure on those, on, those, on those governments. And so what we need to make sure we're doing is we need to help 
President Zelensky doubled down. They have momentum on their side. Let's do absolutely everything we can to to help this to help to help the Ukraine. And this and the Biden administration needs to be doing more to bringing building a bigger posse. You know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that it, I say it's good to have friends. Your friends should love you, and your enemies should fear you. There are a lot of people that are not. A lot of countries that are not participating in these sanctions against Russia. When you look at the list, Middle East. most of Middle East, Latin America, Africa, we can't even get our own Western Hemisphere together. So instead of talking about a, a crazy Iran deal that was terrible in the first place, you know, we should be working on getting the rest of our Hemisphere together on this fight. Uh, especially because uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE is not participating. They said they won't do it. Venezuela, Brazil, India will not uh, participate, will not will not take a side in this, which I think is uh, pathetic. Pakistan will not take a side in this. So you're looking at a lot of people that are just saying, yeah, leave us out of it. Also, they found a way to get around our sanctions when it comes to Visa and MasterCard. They spent the last eight years coming up with an alternative system. It won't help them when they travel, but it helps them domestically. And we allowed Europe to get to this point still uh, still needing oil and gas and coal from Russia. They're now finally starting to wake up. And Brian, this is this is important to understand. You, you know this better than anybody. History is a pattern for the for the future. Um, and I can't tell you how many officials from other countries that have told me when I was in Congress, since I've been out of Congress, don't make us choose. And they're saying don't make us choose between the United States and China. And they're saying don't make us choose because ultimately we, the U.S., is not going to like what their decision is. And so if you look at this situation right now of, of the Russians invading Ukraine, um, you know, when, when this conflict, when, when this growing conflict with China happens, or is the West and the United States going to be in a worse position than we are today? And there's indication that suggests that that is. And, and again, I, I've, I talk about this, you know, in the in the book. I talk about the the new Cold War with the Chinese government. Um, they are trying to surpass us as the global superpower. The only way that we're going to be able to deal with the Chinese government is if we have allies and if we have a bigger posse than them. And when you look at how many parts of the world that are important um, to our alliance are reacting when it comes to Russia, it's going to be even worse when this conflict, when China goes into Taiwan, and and um, that's going to be disastrous for us. And so these are some of the questions that we should be thinking about now. <clears throat> and unfortunately, it seems like this administration is only able to focus on one um, issue at a time. Yeah, and you do have a chapter in your book called "Realize What Made in China Really Means." You go to a uh, you go to a meeting, and you think it's going to be a typical sleepy meeting about Silicon Valley, and it turns out that you start getting alarmed that Chinese companies were starting to get an increasingly large amount of worldwide venture capital. And they were starting to compete with us where they were nowhere in 2006. A lot of it is stolen technology. But then they go to town on it and they bribe and take advantage of our worst capitalist instincts and think, I'm going to maximize my profit and bring my manufacturing over there. They lose control of the product, even if they do get some short-term wealth. 100%. We're seeing that right now with, with semiconductors, right? Why do semiconductors matter? They are literally the building blocks of every piece of technology, whether it's your smartphone, your car, or even your refrigerator. And the, if the Chinese invade Taiwan, which the, 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 the Chinese has made it very clear. You know, we always, when I talk about Vladimir Putin, 
One of Vladimir Putin's primary goals is to reestablish the territorial integrity of the USSR. That's why he wants Ukraine. That's why he wants these other countries in, in Eastern Europe. Xi Jinping has the same desire to reestablish the dynasty that was in place in the fourth century. Part of that includes having Taiwan. And if they go into Taiwan, Taiwan produces 60% of the semiconductors in the world. Um, China produces 10%. So they would ultimately control 70% of semiconductors. Why should we care? We should care because you, if you think the supply chain problems are bad uh-huh. now, it's Absolutely. only going to get worse. If you think inflation is bad now, it's only going to get worse, right? And that's, that's, that's going to impact every element of our life. And when it comes to technology, look, I, I thought I understood technology when I was in Congress. I did a lot of work on artificial intelligence, quantum computing. Now being out of government, advising, you know, cutting edge technology companies, the race is even tighter. The, you know, I've learned made in China actually means made in America first because they stole our intellectual property and, and try to manufacture it there. One of the ways we can deal with this, let's steal their engineers. Right? Like, let's, if, if you're going to be a quantum researcher, if you're going to be an AI person, you know, let's get you here and build those companies here because all these, these Chinese entrepreneurs are seeing what the Chinese government did to Jack Ma. They're seeing what they did to that woman who was the first female billionaire in China. They literally, the Chinese government erased her they did. from the entire internet, right? And, and by the way, Will, and Will it's, so, it's so true because they're getting rid of the entrepreneurship principles in their market economy that allowed them to, to the degree that China allowed it. They're taking that away, and they're redistributing wealth, and they're seeing already their economy flattened. So that's a great idea to take advantage of it. Uh, a couple other things. Will heard with us. His book is now out called American Reboot, really thoughtful ways in which we can get stuff done in this polarized environment. I got to bring you to another area that matters a lot to you, and that's the border. It looks like as bad as things are, and there's two million illegals that have gotten here since Joe Biden took over. Look to, look to Listen to the former Border Patrol chief, Victor Manuri, uh, Manjuriz, uh, talk yesterday on Fox & Friends about what's going to happen when Title 42 uh, goes away and what's happened so far. Cut 12. Well, we've already probably hit a million uh, uh, arrests along the southwest border, and they just, uh, they're waiting for the end of the month to be able to calculate those numbers. But I think it's going to be further than that. I think it's, we're going to be hitting around 2.5, anywhere from between 2.5 and 2.7 million for the year. Because what we're forgetting is that the only tool left in the toolbox for the Border Patrol mm-hmm. is Title 42. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the discussion is about ending that relatively soon. Once that happens, the floodgates will open like we've never seen before. And it's going to go away. Uh, Title 42 was put in place for the pandemic. 175,000 remain in Mexico. Would be uh, illegal immigrants coming over here, probably going to go right into our country. Listen, it's nothing anti-Hispanic. I think the American people understand that. It is just controlling our borders. How bad is it? It, it, It's so bad. It's hard for people to understand. And what's even shocking to me is it, it, it is look it's worse than it ever was at the height of 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 the previous president under under president trump and the fact that many of my democratic colleagues who were who were railing um against border patrol then haven't said a word now when you have communities and that that live along the border and they're seeing anywhere between 16 to 40 people at night passing their homes 
you know, this is a public safety issue. And this is one of those topics when you when we look at the 2022 election um, and, and look, Republican, it's almost a fait accompli that Republicans are going to take the House back. And when you look at a place like South Texas, where I'm from, uh, I was the only Republican along the border when I was in Congress. I was at, at not just the Texas border, but the entire U.S.-Mexico border. You're going to see of the five Congress people that represent um, the border in Texas, three are going to be Republican and a potentially a fourth. And part of that is because Democratic mayors and Democratic county judges in South Texas are just appalled <clears throat> at how things aren't being uh, – on how this is being handled. And, and look, this isn't hard. <clears throat> And stop treating everybody like an asylum seeker. I can make an argument, and I have made this argument before, that you don't need Title 42 in order to deport more people. Um, you can't come here illegally, period, full stop. And when you, can, when you treat everybody as if they're an asylum seeker, you actually impact the people that are truly asylum seekers. And so that's something that needs to happen. We also need to take, try to dismantle these human smuggling um, networks yep. that, are, that, are, that are pervasive. To move two million people, <clears throat> excuse me, from Tegucigalpa to El Paso, Texas, is literally really hard. We know the names of like the, the the license plates of the buses. We know the cell phones of the people that are moving people, right? So why are we not using the entire resources of the U.S. intelligence committee community to dismantle some of these operations? Oh, and by the way. There are people within these countries and, and within the, the national security apparatus of, of El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, that are in, in Mexico that are willing to help dismantle it because these are having impacts. Um, these, these, the, the folks who are coming through illegal are, are negatively impacting these countries in which they're coming through. So this is something that, you know, turn the spigot off. Also, streamline legal immigration. Every industry needs workers. And in this day and age, we should be able to say, hey, you can't do one without the other. Quality workers. Absolutely. Yeah, no, for, for sure. For sure. And, and so, so turn this off. You know, dismantle the dismantle the these networks sending other places. Okay. And guess what? It's, it's, it's you know, if you come here illegally, you're going to get deported. This isn't hey. this isn't rocket science. Hey, Will Hurd, I'll talk to you on TV. Uh, you'll be on this weekend on One Nation. So uh, uh, I look forward to that. Congratulations on your book, American Reboot. Thanks, Will. Thanks, buddy. You got it. Uh, Congressman from Texas. When we come back, we'll take your calls. one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda and so like i i feel like i felt like it was i mean like maybe it was that way in the past but i guess like something must have happened in the last like like they are turning it around so that is a a disney executive talking what they think is a sealed corporate environment that was able to get onto cruz rufo's podcast and forward do you hear hear what she said my not secret gay agenda is that really moving Disney's company forward or your own personal agenda forward? That's something Disney has to answer. But the reason why it matters is Disney is now attacking a bill and other things, changing their vernacular and what they say at parks instead of saying boys and girls, they're saying dreamers. They don't want to label people boys and girls or princesses or princes. This is nuts. You talk about idiotically politically correct crap.
that is plaguing every element of society that basically has a smaller and smaller audience. Disney, this big American company who doesn't come out and condemn anything China does ever because they want the Chinese Disney to thrive. And they're afraid of losing that Chinese investment, but now want to come out late because they feel as though some wild people, uh, undisciplined people, want to walk out on them in March. In April, they're going to be taking formally on this bill in Florida. They have labeled the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is called Parental Rights Bill, which says don't talk sexuality with a kindergarten, first grader, second grader, and third grader. Where do you stand on that? I hope you stand in the correct way. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Britt Hume about where we're heading, where that company's heading, our country's heading, as well as Joe Biden's big gaffe. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We were talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's what the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. Oops. Is that news? When I listen to it, I'm really mad at myself for not saying, wait a second. I just figured I was the only one who didn't know that. I thought Ukrainians are training in Poland. I know they're picking up stuff in Poland. That would make sense. But they're training in Poland. I think that President Biden just created in trying to explain himself and his missteps in uh, overseas, just created another. Let's bring in Britt Hume, Fox News uh, political analyst extraordinaire. Britt, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Hey, Britt, uh, what did the, how did President Biden do Monday in walking back some of the missteps that he refuses to admit he made overseas? It was a fiasco. You know, his his staff had walked back what he said that he that he came in and basically didn't really contradict them on the substance, but said that he wasn't taking any of it back. So he was trying to walk back the walk back. It was it was ridiculous. And and of course, this now this business yesterday that you just uh, played brings to five. I think the number of things he said that were out of step with U.S. policy. He said you remember some days back before the, the before the big kerfuffle started, he said that uh, the purpose of the sanctions was not to deter, which is everything, which is exactly what everybody on his team and his secretary of state said was the purpose. And then he made the three the three gaffes he made in that uh, in that news conference, and now this one. So it you know this is Joe Biden though. He's always been gaff prone because he's not very smart. He never has been. Nice guy, uh, likable guy, not very smart. Gaff prone, in part for that reason. Now he's senile. So we have a lovely combination of none too smart and senile at the top of our government. So here's what Peter challenged on Monday, uh, just to ask him, just to your point. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It made it sound like just in the last couple days... Uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon. And it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. So, I mean, what's the sense of going out there and giving him note cards if that's going to be your response? Well, you know, this is Biden. I mean, this is this. Look, people thought back during the campaign 
when he was running that after all he was seasoned and he's a nice guy and 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 he was way better than Donald Trump because you never knew what Donald Trump was going to say or do he was entirely volatile and unpredictable and he was completely self-absorbed all of which may have been true uh, however, they everybody overlooked, not everybody, but but far too many people overlooked Biden's own failings, and now we're now they are they are front and center because you know we're in a big crisis in the world, major development, and this Brian, remember these issues like what we're dealing with with Russia and Ukraine, these are the real business of the of the presidency. The presidency, you, know, you, you talk about domestic issues, there are all kinds of entities in this country, the private sector, the states and localities who, who can address domestic issues. Foreign policy and defense are uniquely the province of the federal government. And the, and the person who is the head of the federal government and has the greatest leeway and power in this area is, of course, the president. And so you, you, you pay a very serious price if you have weakness in that job. And we, doubt, and we now unmistakably do. So and now we really need it in this area. And Brit is pretty clear. They thought the Ukraine was going to last two days with all the missteps we had before and, and miscalculations again about the strength of the Russian military. We have time to adjust and help the Ukrainians win from the political standpoint. What is the downside of saying that and doing more? You know, it's anecdotal, but almost everyone I'm communicating with who communicates with others say that the U.S. has been the slowest in giving the aid that we've already paid for, that's already been allocated there. Well, that's a, obviously a, a logistical problem, and 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 you know, we've got to move it a long way. I hope it's logistic and not uh, will. But go ahead. Well, I I don't think it's a matter of will, really. I think it's you know, in terms of politically, this is. I mean, this is a no-brainer politically because the you know the whole Western world is rooting for Ukraine, and the victimization of those people has been horrific. So, getting assistance to them is you know politically the most obvious thing you could do and the right thing to do. And I think they're trying to do it. And, you know, when you hear talk about training uh, Ukrainian soldiers in Poland, well, if you're introducing weapons to them with which they may not be entirely familiar, you might have to show them how to use them. And that, I suppose, would constitute a form of training. I don't think it's the kind of formal training that's been done previous to this uh, in Ukraine by Americans, but uh, which is apparently not going on right now. But if that's not something you're saying publicly for a reason, then, Mr. President, for God's sake, don't go out and say it publicly. Exactly. Uh, so these talks right now, do you think Russia has enough of a reason to be sincere in these talks? Let me give you an idea of the Ukrainian mindset. Here's their parliamentary, uh, this Ukrainian um, uh, parliamentarian who's in Ukraine. Cut three. So our terms are the same. We need all our territories and all our people back. And we want Russia to pay back for all the damages that has been done to our country. They have to go into court, and they have to resp- and they have to be uh, they have to face the responsibility for everything that has been done to Ukraine. So far, we see that the negotiations uh, are moving. We see that the Russians are pulling out their uh, troops from Kiev, from other regions in Ukraine. But to be honest, they were surrounded there. This is. Uh, way for Putin to keep his face and get the troops out, not to be totally destroyed. Any deal that has to be done has to uh, win over people like that. It has to be ratified by their parliament. So they're not ready to acquiesce either. What do you think is going on the Russian side? I don't side? think the talks for the moment are going to go anywhere. And look, you have to remember this. Um, Russia is struggling with its ground forces. 
and the Ukrainians have been amazingly capable in, 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 in holding them off and in some cases turning them back. But Russia's firepower from, from standoff weapons, missiles, rockets, air attacks, and so forth, remains. It remains potentially devastating as we've, to the whole country, as we've seen in several particular cities. Um, and Russia has shown itself in the past under Putin to be perfectly capable of annihilating places. So and 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 reducing countries to you know to rubble or parts of countries to rubble to seek surrender, um, and that and that possibility remains in effect. And you know it's not clear that we have given Ukraine or the Ukrainians have uh, the weaponry necessary to hold off that kind of attack. And as long as that continues, Russia will have the opportunity to to prevail in the end. Um, so I don't know what Russians, Russia feels its incentives are now. The lifting of sanctions would be powerful. Uh, the end of the, the killing of their own troops would be a powerful incentive, one would think. But for a guy like Vladimir Putin, one wonders if that's enough. Right. You know, can't you sense some similarities between the fall of the Soviet Union and what the Russians are being exposed now? You see the hollowing out of their military. They can't even communicate. They had no battle plan. They have no experience. Their stuff is outdated, ineffective against a smaller army that's much more organized and ready to fight. And then when that's you see true, how many but, bodies but that they've but, cost, I mean, can't, right. can't America see the benefit in the Ukrainians winning for our own selves? We can see the benefit of that, and and although I have to say, Brian, when you start asking people the question, what U.S. national security interests are in, implicated in Ukraine, the answers come very slowly and and hesitatingly, and you know we really don't have a great national interest there, other than the idea that a little country like that, little I say in terms compared to Russia ought to be able to choose its own path and be democratic if it wishes. Um, but that's, a, that's more of a rooting interest than it is a true national security interest. So there are questions about how far we should go uh, to help. Look, if we impose a no-fly zone, that would help enormously. But we would have to involve NATO and our own forces in doing that, and there are good reasons not to do that. So you know, we can support them, and we want them to win, but up to a point. I have not heard a good argument for a no-fly zone. I know I understand the sentiment, but not the rationale. But I have heard getting him tanks, uh, getting them harpoons to get these ships that are lobbing their version of the Tomahawk that are leveling these cities, I think would definitely be effective. I think getting them more drones would definitely work. And dropping food to these uh, these uh, besieged cities from drones, to me, would be something that America can do. My goodness, we found a way to put missiles on drones. When Rumsfeld asked the question, can we get Hellfire missiles? And next thing you know, now it's commonplace. Can we at least put some non-perishable items, some MREs on a drone and drop it into Mariupol and do some things? You would things? think so. You would think so, and the public would support it. Um, but whether that, whether those measures you've just described, Brian, would be enough to overcome the enormously superior firepower that Russia can mount from afar is another question. True. And I think uh, that's one that has to be addressed. The other thing is I just think there's huge benefit to taking one of our huge nemesises of, of really diminishing and knocking them back for 10, 15 years and maybe get a more normal uh, leader, not a little Stalin knockoff uh, that we're dealing with. That would be in our interest. But I do want to bring it to something else that interests you, and that's Florida. Uh, you have an emerging superstar there in Governor Ron DeSantis. Once again, a bill that seems logical, 
to keep sexual sex talk out of kindergartners, first grade, second grader, and third graders' curriculum would be a, wouldn't be a problem. But it didn't stop Disney from saying they'll do everything to stop it, and Democrats from mislabeling it to not not say gay bill. Here's Governor Ron DeSantis, cut eighteen. The word gay is not in the legislation. Right. So they okay. say it's banning a word that literally isn't even in the legislation. It's not even like they're misrepresenting the way the word's used. It's not even used in the bill. It's a, it's a fake narrative. It's a lie. But it's a lie because they have to lie because if they admitted what they were really for, sexualizing kindergartners and first graders, they know that would not fly with the public. Play this out, Britt Hume. Where do you think well, who's going to get on top? Who's going to win this? This, this is argument? a wonderful example of, of how the, the choice of words and the use of slogans can be so powerful. Uh, it was immediately labeled the Don't Say Gay Bill, which, it, which is not what it is. And, and the media picked up on it, and, and a vast array of, of leftist politicians did as well. And the label stuck. And the bill itself turns out to be quite, quite popular in Florida. And Disney is obviously a company that's in the grip of a woke elite in its hierarchy uh, that com- that impelled those officials to take the position that that company has taken. I think it's a mistake because I think it'll alienate a lot of people. Um, but uh, but there it is. Um, politically, I think in the end, DeSantis wins on this, and the people of Florida are with him. I was just seeing this poll, this uh, Harvard-Harris poll, I think you would agree with me, that doesn't usually lean right. I was fascinated to see that in a head-to-head matchup between Trump and Biden, uh, Trump wins – uh, uh, by about seven points, up by seven points, and well, I think ten over Harris. Does that surprise you at this point, being that we're still no, in the January sixth controversy? Harris are both wildly unpopular, but the question is whether, when it comes down to it, in the end, we don't know whether Biden will even run again. And if he does, if he doesn't, I think it's wide open. I don't think I don't think Harris is the automatic candidate. Uh, the question is whether whether Trump could beat any other candidate other than Biden. Um, I'm not sure in the end he could beat Biden, but uh, he didn't the last time. Um, so I think, you know, the question is whether the Republican Party is prepared to move past Trump. You can see in polling that Trump's influence, while considerable still, is fading. Right. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. He, he, he beats Harris by, uh, it looks like, by 11. That's unbelievable. Yeah, this is you. Brian, this is years away. I mean, these polls are they're kind of interesting, but they're really not meaningful at this stage. Really? So in regret, if I was to do this in a delayed tape version, Britt, you would recommend I cut that question out? Yeah, I kind of would. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I, did. I don't want to end on a low note, but I, I, was, I was impressing you up to that point. Is that correct? No, I've always been impressed with you, Brian. You've become one of the most knowledgeable people around. Wow. Thanks for saying that. Now, did you good, record good that, Allison? You, buddy. Did you record that? Huh? Uh, I just want to make sure we recorded that. You can uh, use that for endorsement purposes. That's what I'm going to do. Thanks so much, Fred. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Good to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Back in a moment. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why is the hill to die on 
to have transgenderism injected into kindergarten classrooms or woke gender ideology injected into second grade classroom. Why is that the hill to die on? Meanwhile, if we had done a bill that prohibited uh, talking about the abuse of Uyghurs in China, Disney would have supported that legislation because they don't want to say a word about that. So it's just an odd manifestation of their corporate values that they actually do Disney cruises, Tucker, to the nation of Dominica, which criminalizes homosexuality. So they're fine doing that and lining their pockets. They're fine lining their pockets from the CCP and all the atrocities that go on there. But it's those kindergartners in Florida that they really want to have transgenderism uh, as part of their core curriculum in school. It makes absolutely no sense, but it, it, but it's everywhere. Most people, you just think uh, right away, uh, this Republican governor, conservative, trying to say, I don't want gay people in school or to talk about that. It's not the case. But listen to how the media handled it, mislabeling this parental rights bill. Cut 26. And I think about if I have a kid, if I'm going to, you know, would I be okay with them not wanting to be able to say the word gay. And now this anti-gay bill, or if you will, you know, you can't say the word gay. And a ban on the word gay. But he's also trying to censor uh, whether or not teachers can say the word gay in our, our classroom. Florida's governor is now facing criticism after the state house passed a law that won't let you say gay. But, I mean, come on. But, I mean, it would be different if... There was in the bill that says don't say gay in the bill. Uh, don't bring. It's nothing to do with that. Someone effectively mislabeled it, and everyone says, "Well, I don't think it's right to make people pretend they're not gay or be gay or whatever it is." What you just don't want is kids being told by their teachers that you don't have to be a boy or a girl, that you uh, are gay or not gay, and to ask yourself what you want to be or how you feel. Nobody wants to deal with that among their toddlers. I would think. And if you do want to, there's probably special schools for you. Or maybe that's time to homeschool. And, of course, the Oscars don't want to weigh in on the Ukraine. They don't want to let Mila Kunis, who evidently has got a Ukrainian heritage, is from the Ukraine, I guess her family is. She has to go out for refugees but can't mention the word Ukraine. But they can do this at the Oscars. Cut 27. Well, we're going to have a great night uh, tonight. And for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. Gay, gay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's great. And then they cut away to everyone, and everyone feels great about themselves. And uh, by the way, Sean Penn said, because he was over there with the when the attack started, and he's uh, so impressed with Zelensky, not that he's uh, ever somebody that I adhere to, considering his best friend was Hugo Chavez, and he loved Fidel Castro. But he said if the Oscars don't let Zelensky address the Oscars, that he's going to melt down his Oscar award. Your serve... You and Alec Baldwin always seem to say just the right thing at the right time. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation this weekend, Saturday night at 8 p.m. and 11 o'clock. Don't move. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, happy to be back in New York City, uh, home of the show. But, of course, we're heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Rich Lowry is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour, get his take on the optimism Republicans feel right now uh, for the midterm elections. But they're still months away. Right. And, by the way, here we are uh, at an hour in which we're watching uh, the third string press secretary for the White House, Kate Benningfield. Uh, she's the communications director because the other two are test positive uh, for the coronavirus, even though they're double vaxxed. That's another story. Uh, at the bottom of the air, we'll be able to take your calls, one 408 But right now, it's time to bring in Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers. Uh, but first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The word gay is not in the legislation. Right. So they okay. say it's banning a word that literally isn't even in the legislation. It's not even like they're misrepresenting the way the word's used. It's not even used in the bill. Uh, that is Governor Ron DeSantis, obviously, the parental rights bill that Dems can't stand and take great joy in mislabeling. Don't say gay, Bill. Will this be another body blow for the Dems' midterm hopes as we further explain what's in it? We'll explain once again why Governor DeSantis is leading the way. Number two. Title 42 was always a temporary measure. It was always going to go away. But unfortunately, what this administration has not done is they haven't planned for it. And they haven't put any other policies in place to deter the illegal activity that we see. That is Chad Wolf, of course. The border crisis is about to get a whole lot worse. How Title 42's end could bring millions to our border and into our country illegally. Number one. Nobody should be fooling ourselves by the Kremlin's now recent claim that it will suddenly just reduce military attacks near Kiev. We believe that this is a repositioning, not a real withdrawal. Uh, there you go. John Kirby talking in Turkey. Not sure if we have peace gains, but there is some change in how Russia is ha- approaching the capital up until now, because we're now getting reports that the capital is still being hit. Uh, by Russian forces and being repelled, by the way, in the Donbass region. They're having more success, but not a lot. Uh, let's bring in Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers. Uh, Congresswoman, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. Uh, first off, are you among those who feel as though you need answers in this bipartisan letter to the White House to get answers on what is happening to the aid that we've earmarked for Ukraine? Are they actually getting it? Absolutely. I I am quite dismayed that the administration, President Biden, has been extremely slow in delivering the aid, delivering the support, the military support that I believe that we we have committed and and Ukraine needs. Uh, I expect America to lead in helping Ukraine in their fight for self-determination and independence. uh, and, And they need our help. And we should be we should be off. You know, we've agreed to send it. Now we need to get over there. Just yesterday, I met with SpaceX. You know, and they're the ones that are providing the the uh, low the satellite yep. the um, satellite technology. They responded in two days when they heard that Ukraine needed help with their their communication system. They told me that in two days they were sending over the satellites to maintain the communication system in Ukraine, and I couldn't help but think, oh my goodness, our government is so slow. Yeah, this letter sent by two uh, senators, it's Joni Ernst and Kirsten Gillibrand, obviously Democrat and Republican. Uh, signed by uh, most of the people in the Senate saying, hey, 
The senator requested analysis of the equipment from the Allied nations that could be provided to the Ukraine and later backfilled by NATO equipment. We know about the S-300 system. Not there yet. Bulgaria has it. We don't. They want to be backfilled by Patriot missiles. What's going on there? Why is there a reluctance to do this, such a timidity when it comes to Russia? I don't get it. Outside the nuclear nation thing, I understand. But they don't care as they level arbitrarily, brutally, city after city. You know, we're putting in if we're putting in these uh, the Stinger missiles, if we're if we're using the Javelin missiles, why are we holding uh-huh. back on the harpoons? I don't understand right. the logic here. I I completely agree. This is this is a, sh- a sheer uh, brutal force by Putin in in coming into the Ukraine. We we back in the nineties when Ukraine turned over their their nuclear weapon arsenal, the third largest in the world. We committed, the United States and U.K. committed to help them if, if Russia were to advance. And, and now this administration is just dragging their feet every step of the way. And Ukraine isn't asking us to send people on the ground. They are asking for these weapon systems, this, you know, defense systems that would help them defend the, their, their country from the brutal force of President Putin. And yet this administration once again refuses to lead. So you are the ranking member. Uh, you are the ranking member on the uh, House Commerce Committee. Uh, also, uh, you are talking about an energy putting an energy proposal together for President Biden to help in this effort to get the world off of Russian oil. I understand Poland is pulling to, pulling all their resources out of. They're no longer going to be spending on coal or oil or gas from Russia. And the Germans have knocked off 10 percent of their purchases, which is pretty significant considering this only been 35 days since this conflict uh, really started. What are you asking the what are you asking Americans to do? What are you asking this administration to do? Well, I'm asking this administration to unleash American energy, to flip the switch on. The Biden administration from day one shut down the Keystone Pipeline, has been systematically shutting down American energy. When we finally, after decades, became energy independent in 2020, since day one, this administration has been shutting down pipelines, shutting down exploration, development of American energy. Uh, We've been seeing gas prices go up. And this administration continues, you know, they've been more focused on doubling down on their rush to green than actually taking care of Americans, but also our most effective weapon against Putin is American energy. Putin has gained his, his standing in the world through energy. He's been, exp- he's been developing, exporting oil, natural gas, obviously into Europe. Forty percent of their natural gas comes from Putin. That's the way that he's been funding his military and his aggression in Ukraine. Uh, one of our, our greatest weapons most effective weapons against Putin would be to unleash American energy. We should be exporting natural gas into Europe. And finally, we're seeing the Europeans shift on this. Uh, The Nord 2 pipeline is being shut off. And now the administration reluctantly is uh, saying they're going to export natural gas into Europe. I had the opportunity in 2015 to visit Ukraine with the Energy and Commerce Committee. And, and at that time, they were asking for liquefied natural gas. They didn't want to be dependent upon Russia. I was there in May of 2015 after Putin had shut down the pipelines into Ukraine in the winter, in the dead of winter, shutting off natural gas 
the way that they heat their homes in Ukraine. That was that was many years ago that Putin was using energy for his his purposes. And America has been uh, stifled in in actually being able to provide the the energy resources. I also I also learned during that trip that Putin was the one funding the NGOs, the non-government organizations, the environmental groups in in Europe that were anti-fracking. This was new technology that had just been uh, developed in the United States, again, American ingenuity, and we were able to frack uh, technology to release natural gas, uh, and it it created this shell revolution in the United States of America. Putin's funding the NGOs that are educating, quote, educating Europeans as to the dangers of natural gas. Isn't that convenient? So then they're dependent. So then they don't they don't do any fracking in Europe and they are dependent upon Russia. Forty percent of their natural gas coming from Russia. So there's a lot more that America be, could be doing. Energy is foundational. Energy is foundational to our economy, to our geopolitical standing, and, and we should be unleashing American energy. And a lot of people are just tired of paying for more. So not only will it help Ukraine security, which helps national security here, and people, I think, understand what's going on there. But when you talk about what's happening here, it looks like next week executives from six of the nation's largest oil companies have agreed to testify on the price of gas in this country. So coming to town is going to be BP, Chevron, Exxon, Shell, as well as Devon Energy Corporation and Pioneer Natural Resources Company, they're going to come in and defend themselves. And I think they're going to be looked at as the tobacco companies, as evil incarnate, looking to get a profit. My hope is they're going to speak up for themselves and talk about mm-hmm. with this regulation, the lack of, uh, the lack of being able to dribble on, dribble on, um, drill on federal land, uh, being this anti-oil and gas sentiment that this administration has, has held us back and has hurt us long term. Don't you think this is an opportunity for them to sound off? I I hope they do because as I just said energy is so foundational to everything. It is our it is our standard of living, it is our economy. Uh you know, I often say you cannot be a diplomatic power without being a military power. You can't be a military power without being an economic power. It, it is all connected, and energy is foundational to all of that. And we need these energy companies to speak out as to what's really going on in the United States of America, that this administration, since day one, has made it very clear. They made it very clear that they want to shut down American energy. They want to shut down oil, natural gas, and coal in the United States of America after we had spent decades uh, working to become energy independent. And we finally achieved that in 2020. We believed that it was it was dangerous for us to be dependent upon other countries for energy. And yet when I talk uh, when I talk to these energy companies, especially the the smaller energy companies in the United States, what they say is that it is even though oil is now over $100 per barrel, that it is extremely difficult because of the regulatory climate, the limitations, the permitting, uh, the the shutdown of pipelines. Wasn't it interesting that we learned that Massachusetts was importing Russian oil, right, into Massachusetts, same state that had blocked pipelines so that domestic production could have been brought into Massachusetts. Uh, we, We must be energy independent and and I think what also for those you know uh, you know, in, in, you know there's a lot of drumbeat about 
clean energy, we lead our our fossil fuels are 40 percent cleaner than what Russia or others are producing. Again, this is American ingenuity, technology leading the way, carbon capture, carbon sequestration. We we are leading the world and we need this administration to stop shifting the blame, stop avoiding responsibilities. I, I believe America knows that gas prices were going up long before Putin's aggression in Ukraine. So uh, we're talking to Congresswoman McMorris Rogers, and you were uh, heading up. The, you served as chair of the House Republican Conference for six years, and it looks like most uh, learned people would think that you guys are about to take the majority over in the House. But AOC has a plan. She says if Democrats want to save the House, they need to take a stand and move more to the left. Uh, she says uh, she claims the she predicted Manchin would kill the Build Back Better bill, and the self-proclaimed Democrat socialist suggested the president was should ignore, uh, is, has to stop ignoring the very people who got him elected in 2020 and move more left. Do you think that would help or hurt your cause? People like people like AOC and many in the administration right now seem to see this moment as one where they're going to double down on their radical agenda. And they they want to completely restructure our economy, restructure our form of government. Uh, and they do it through policies like the Green New Deal. We had a hearing just recently in the Energy and Commerce Committee around electric vehicles. So you, you, you consider the discussion we just had about what's going on in the world, the importance of American energy independence, the importance of us unleashing American energy and helping supply our allies with energy to meet their needs. It's one of the most effective things we could push back on Putin's aggression, and yet we're having a hearing on electric vehicles. Electric vehicles that are are uh, dependent upon batteries and uh, raw materials and critical minerals that all come outside the United States of America, or I shouldn't say all. But yeah, Afghanistan and the Congo, both of which now controlled by China. Yes, exactly. So, uh, they, they're promoting an agenda on energy in particular that would make us dangerously dependent upon other countries and, uh, and really China in particular. When you think of the focus on gotcha. wind and solar and electric vehicles, uh, this, is, this is how detached from reality people like AOC and the administration are. We, we need, and that's where the Republicans are working to present a vision to this country, one that is focused on the importance of American leadership, American competitiveness. America has been a force for good. America has done more to lift people out of poverty, raise the standard of living. We did that through innovation, through technology, leading in every sector. And right now, that's being shut down. It's being shut down because we, they, they're shutting down. I know, I hear you. Congressman, I'm going to have to end it there. Uh, You're on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. You're going to have a say in this. And hopefully your voice will be heard. Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, thanks so much. Good to be with you. Thank you. You got it. When we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, we can call the signals we hear from the negotiating platform positive. 
But these signals do not drown out the blows of Russian shells. Of course, we see all the risks. And that's where they're talking about. Some optimism on the meetings earlier this week in Turkey. No, and the Russians left saying, OK, now we have something to think about. Maybe we can get a meeting uh, before with the both presidents together. Uh, and then the Russians pledged. Uh, the Russians pledged. We're not going to shell the city as much. We'll kind of pull back. They are shelling the city today. The New York Times reporting that over the last hour, uh, attacks uh, continued uh, in and around Kiev and Chernihiv. Chernihiv, two areas where Russia had said it would reduce combat operations. By the way, two areas in which they're experiencing not much success as of late. Now, uh, me, it's very easy to sit in our sideline and say Russians can't be trusted. I'm not asking for trust, but there's a change in the battlefield. They're not having much success in the north and the west. They are having some success in the South, where they're continuing to uh, hit pretty hard in Mariupol. Republicans, um, Republicans continue to, as well as Democrats, continue to push the administration to do more. Kevin, listen on WOKV. Hey, Kevin. Hey, good morning. What's on your mind? Hey, what's on my mind is I'm uh, wondering, you know, obviously the people's uh, will is squarely behind folks like Governor DeSantis with this parental rights uh, bill. And and why don't um, Governor DeSantis or some others um, form a coalition of other Republican, you know, governors? And my point, I guess... I think it's going to spread, Kevin. It's a good point. I think it's going to spread. No doubt about it. But I don't think Governor DeSantis minds being out on his own right now. It may seem tough, but when you read the bill, he's so on the right side here. I think he likes being the only one. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And for a company like Disney to say that they, this bill should have never passed, first of all, Tucker, they weren't saying anything when this was going through the House. They only started doing this because the mob, the woke mob, came after them. But put that aside, uh, for them to say that them as a California-based company are going to work to take those California values and overturn a law that was duly enacted and, as you said, supported by a strong majority of Floridians. They don't run this state. Uh, they will never run this state as long as I'm governor. Uh, governor Santos sticking up for his bill that he put forward. Actually, the legislator came up with that he signed uh, the Republican-dominated legislator. Remember, he got this job by a percentage point. Now he's, the Republicans have about 100,000 uh, voter advantage of registered voters coming into this next election, maybe because— uh, because these Republicans have been so productive once they're in power, especially at a time in which they were extremely tested uh, during COVID-19. So we see the president, uh, the governor sitting there looking more and more like a presidential candidate standing up for, I don't know, I guess I think that the parental rights bill, very similar to Yunkin's success. What was he doing in a very purple to r- blue state of Virginia that used to be bright red? He was coming up and speaking for parents. He wasn't speaking for a party. In fact, when people started saying, well, you're for Trump, you're against Trump, he's like, I'm just here for the people of Virginia. That's pretty much what the governor's saying, too. And that's why I think he's going to win off so much Democratic support, because people are going to define what exactly is going on there. Catherine, listen, WLAD. Hey, Catherine. Hey, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Well, 
I was just thinking, my parents came from Italy, my grandparents came from Italy. I just don't understand why Europe and the United States are waiting so long to do something about all the people being killed in Europe. Don't they remember what Hitler did? Yeah, in fact, here is what Pierce Morgan said yesterday on The Five about this. Cut 11. At what point is the red line for our morality? Right. The West. At what point do we watch maternity hospitals being bombed, Mm -hmm. refugees being targeted and murdered on the way out as they try and escape, Americans in lines for bread because they're starving being gunned down, Holocaust survivors being incinerated in their homes, as happened last week? What is our red line? Because we know what Hitler's was and we know when we stood up to him. I just look at what's going on. I keep reading that Putin's losing. This is all going badly, Ukraine are winning. I don't believe any of that. I think Putin is doing exactly what he set out to do. He's ruthless, he's barbaric, he's getting more ruthless and more barbaric, and we're all sitting back hiding behind, well, he hasn't attacked a NATO country. But I bet if he prevails in Ukraine and attacks a NATO country, what's he going to say? He's going to say, if you come after me, I'll use my nukes, and we're going to face the same moral quandary of a guy taking nuclear armament as a protective shield to genocide. And I just asked the question, because at some point, we're going to have to stand up to him. Otherwise, where does it stop? That's exactly my point to begin with. It's in our interest to stop him here. And now you have him on the ropes, certainly being gutted, defamed, uh, and you're seeing his military exposed. So why wouldn't you continue to do it? I mean, what does he lose between seven and 15,000? Of his fighters, they say over. They say more than that. Usually, uh, times and a half, the wounded are of the dead. So you do that. There's so many men. They don't really have women fighting. Taken off the battlefield, they's calling up reserves, grabbing them out of Georgia, asking them to leave Syria, asking Syrians to fight with them, bringing in the Wagner Group, trying to get uh, the uh, Belarusian fighters to get in, but they're having huge pushback. So how many people have to die in order for us to act? And being that if you don't want to come in with MIGs, if you don't want to come in uh, with our own troops, and I get it, I don't get the MIGs, but with your own troops, I understand it. But by providing the weaponry with this lethal fighting force which Ukraine has uh, turned into, you don't need it. Let them win. Here's Mark Thiessen on that with Special Report last night. Cut nine. I don't see prospects for for peace immediately, no. I mean, I think the Russians are pulling back, not because they're trying to give the talks a chance to succeed. They're pulling back because they're losing. Uh, because the Ukrainians are winning. Keep in mind, their strategy was to march on Kyiv, decapitate the regime, and install a puppet regime in its place. And they have utterly failed to do that. The problem is our strategy has not caught up with that reality. Uh, everybody's been talking about the nine words in the Biden speech in, in Warsaw. I'm more concerned about the four words that we're missing. Ukraine wins and Russia loses. And that's the point. And I don't think that he I, obviously the president with his walkbacks and definitions and awkward denials over our policy, it's adding nothing but confusion. And it's easy for Republicans to say the president made no sense or for me or you. But what about when Francis Macron and the head of the chancellor of uh, Germany go, yeah, that's not our policy. Yeah, that's not what we discussed. What do you think is really going behind closed doors? And they must be saying, well, you know, this guy is the oldest 79 in the history of man. In fact, listen to what he said yesterday in his attempt to walk back his remarks on this on Monday, rather, and look to clarify what he said wrong on Sunday and the day before. 
to the 82nd Airborne when he said you're going to see for yourself what it's like uh, with these troops, these Ukrainian troops in Ukraine. Oops. When he said that the president of uh, Vladimir Putin's a butcher, it might be right, but that's not the policy. Number three, when he said uh, that regime change, this guy cannot stay in power. How's that? So listen to what he said in explaining away the troop issue, telling the 82nd Airborne you're going to go into Ukraine. You interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We we're talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's what the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. Okay. So that immediately, and I listened to that and go, wow, I didn't, I didn't know we were training Ukrainians in Poland. It makes sense, but I didn't know that was our policy. Maybe I'm the last to know. Kate Benningfield was asked that question. Turns out, not our policy. Not the last to know. Cut six. Did the president accidentally reveal a previously unknown effort for the, the U.S. to be training Ukrainian forces in Poland during his answer in the press conference? Uh, no. The troops that he met with uh, in Poland uh, routinely interact uh, with Ukrainians. Uh, that is something that's known. Many of you were, again, on the trip with us. Uh, that is something that's known. Uh, that is in no way uh, revealing compromised information. Um, uh, that being said, um, there's nothing further that I have to say on that beyond what the president said yesterday. Hmm. I know Ukraine was coming in, picking up a lot of their stuff. I did not know they were coming in and training. So that's interesting for the president to bring up. What must the, the staff minis be like? We can't tell them anything. Or we're not telling them anything. Therefore, we're leaving them at his own devices. So I was just comparing this today on Facebook Live. I said, you know, if you, you, if you want a Donald Trump elected, you're not going to be happy with a lot of President Biden's policies. Just like you probably weren't happy with President Obama's policies. But when you saw Rahm Emanuel as chief of staff, you go, the guy's organized and competent, right? And when you saw uh, David Axelrod setting up communications and the messaging and the policies, you might not like David Axelrod, but he got President Obama elected twice against impossible odds, beat the Clinton machine. And actually, if you listen to his podcast, the guy's very smart and has a real sense of politics and what's going to be acceptable and not acceptable in terms of putting together an Obama agenda. So you at least just saw competence. I look at Jake Sullivan, Ned Price, Anthony Blinken, Susan Rice. Who are these people? They look totally incompetent. They look totally disjointed. They don't project any strength in which a time in which you have a president that is extremely weak. What's scary is he is strong in his statements, but light in its accuracy. Mark Thiessen went on to explain this. Cut 10. To this day, five weeks into the war, Joe Biden has never actually said that our objective is to help Ukraine prevail over the Russians. He said our job, our goal is to punish Russia. Our goal is to help Ukraine defend itself. But he never says that our goal is to defeat them. And that the problem is now the Ukrainians have have done such a good job uh, that it, that it, victory is actually a prospect. Uh, and we should have a strategy of arming them in order to achieve that victory rather than forcing them to, you know, de- partition their country uh, with, with Russia in some sort of failed peace talks. Yeah. And now, you know, so the Ukraine, one of the things they said in the talks reportedly when they walked in was maybe we'll talk about the Donbass region. We'll put off for talking about Crimea and who owns it for 15 years And then we will talk about national security. We want our own personal security guaranteed by Turkey, France, and another country. I'm not sure what that third country is. Maybe the U.S., but we let them down along with Russia in 1991 when we signed the Budapest Agreement, didn't we? Absolutely. Why would you go with that now? They said, okay, we'll have the neutral status of Finland, but 
I want to be able to join the European Union. So these are the types of things that were, there were negotiating points. But now suddenly Russia is starting to fight again in Kiev and the other city. And they never stopped in the Donbass region. They've basically taken Mariupol. There's just a – there's about, they say, 100,000 people left. Mostly are starving or dying of thirst. For some reason, we can't get them supplies. We keep going through the same roads, apparently. And we keep getting stopped and they're getting stripped. So that's really the issue. So if you see these certain things happening, for example, not many people realize this, but do you know that the Ukrainian was starting to shell some nearby towns in Russia? So you start doing that for the first time, doing to Russia what they're doing to Ukraine in a very small way, then all of a sudden this becomes real to the Russian people. My fear is it'll become so real that the Russians will be united behind it instead of this being the military action that it is. So I just want to make sure they get the weapons that they need. When I see this letter written by a bipartisan group of senators led by Senator Joni Ernst and Kristen Gillibrand, the senators are requesting an analysis of the equipment from the allied nations that could be provided to the Ukraine right now and the stuff that's already ordered and paid for and why it's not there. Currently, we see that we have given two, we promised to give 2,000 javelins, uh, 100 tactical unmanned aerial systems. Uh, I think these are drones that are basically suicide drones, but they can hover. They can hover over a target until it becomes seen, and they decide to go in, and the the switchblades will blow everything up. Seems valuable, right? No one's seen them in the country yet. What's the problem? If you're being careful, you're not telling the Senate Select Committee who's relaying it to their members so they would not have any reason to write these letters. That's what worries me. It's the people that should know don't know, so they got to go public with a bipartisan letter to embarrass this administration to doing what they're supposed to do. But that's not all that's going on. They're also trying to deal with the economy, releasing their budget, as well as trying to, I guess, armor up uh, for the midterm elections. When we come back, I'll take some more of your calls. I also see that I have a ton of emails from you on BrianKillMe.com. I'll get to some of them. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You do not have the right to, to walk up on stage and smack somebody in the face because they said words. No, no, I agree. I, I think we all agree on that. I just thought, Jim, that it escalated to that. You know what I mean? That it escalated to that level. It didn't escalate. Mm-hmm. It came out of nowhere because Will has something going on inside him that's frustrated. How great is that? I mean, that is telling like it is. You can't understand where he's coming from. That's Jim Carrey, who's unhinged himself, but not violently unhinged, I don't think, although he's done some violent sketches that he put out to people. He went on to say this. Cut 37. I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood is just spineless, en masse. And uh, it just, it really felt like, oh, this is... A really clear indication that uh, we're not the cool club anymore. I, I don't even know that explanation again. I don't know what cool club means anymore. You just not supposed to punch people in the face because they uh, perceivably do a joke that you consider distasteful. 
Obviously, the, the Academy is looking at doing something to Will Smith, probably making him eligible to get an award for five years would probably make sense. You cannot take away the award in the movie. I mean, the movie is still fantastic. He was still awesome. And most actors have something wrong with them. So every time there's somebody's unhinged, you can't just take it away. People say, what about Mel Gibson? What about his rant when he was arrested, uh, accused of domestic abuse by that lunatic he was dating or married to? And then what about uh, uh, Roman Polanski, a, a, a pedophile who left the country rather than uh, deal with his legal issues? He got Best Picture, I guess, or Best Director. Here's Joe Rogan. He worries about it from the stand-up comedian perspective. Cut 35. You can't just go smack a man in the face in front of the world and then go about business as usual. First of all, it sets a terrible precedent. Yes. In, in, in so many different ways. It sets a terrible precedent for comedy clubs. Yes. Like, are people going to yes. decide that they're going to go on stage and Ooh, smack the comedian now? Think- what are we saying as a society when the, the people that we look up to, for whatever reason, for good or for bad, mm-hmm. we look up to actors? Yes. And, and the Academy Awards is supposed to be them in their most regal their most regal outfits, yeah. their best behavior, yeah. and to jo- drop down to violence for something so innocuous as a G.I. Jane joke. Okay. Absolutely 100% right. And then you add the comedy, the thing that's challenging about comedy, now you got to be politically correct. Where you're going to get banned, you're not going to be a good big booked, even if you get big crowds. So you have that factor with Hollywood saying that's no longer allowed, you're not going to do this. You have people going back on pay-per-view specials that made them big, like Eddie Murphy, and basically making him apologize for past stand-ups. So that's pressure. Then he had no performance for two years, that pressure. And now you have, I'm going to go punch that guy pressure. And by the way, what is Will Smith doing afterwards? crying hysterically and embarrassingly as he accepts his award. And then he goes and dances the night away. And then 24 hours later apologizes to Chris Rock. Chris Rock has kept his powder dry. I think he looks the best out of everyone. Some people think he should have hit him back or, or he should have just walked off. I think he handled it perfectly. But good news for Will Smith. He's got someone watching his back. You might recognize this voice. Cut 38. I think Will was wrong. I understood the feeling. Now, uh, in my life, I've been through a lot of crap, and I was raising two young kids, and every comedian in the country had an OJ routine, and don't think I wouldn't want to be slapped a couple of those guys, but you got to accept it's It's humor, and I didn't even think that was all that egregious. I thought it was a semi-unfunny joke, but I don't know. I don't get it. I know this. After what happened to me in Las Vegas, if I would have done that in front of a billion people watching around the world, they would have given me life without. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, my heart goes out to OJ uh, on this, really. Uh, So he says he understands the rage. Who would think, you know, I think he's probably being honest. He understands the rage. I think we all agree that OJ understands the rage. The other thing to add in, which I speculated on and no one thought it was possible, believe it or not, I don't think about Jada Pinkett Smith. I know almost nothing about her except for they have this weird open marriage and she was dating one of her son's friends. Not something to enhance the relationship on the surface, it seems. But I do think I did not know that she had alopecia that makes it hard for her to grow her hair in or have patches. I didn't know that. And Chris Rock didn't either. And the main reason why Chris Rock didn't know it, I believe it, is because it's not funny if it's an affliction. You don't make fun of a soldier that lost his arm in battle or his leg in battle or his eyesight in battle. 
It just doesn't, it, there's no humor in that. And a lot of people don't find humor in any ethnic humor or making people's gender or doing things like that. That's fine. That's your choice. But the thing is, Chris Rock would know if that was an issue, it's not funny. Why would you go there? Why would you make fun of someone who can't grow their hair out? And would you think he would do it for a cancer patient purposely? It's not funny. And at the very least, you have to know that Chris Rock is one of the top five funniest comedians in the country. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you understand that Saturday nights at 8 o'clock, you got to put off date night. One Nation will be on, on Fox News Channel, repeated at 11. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.